This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. It is good men that change the world to make it better. And I said, I, I don't know that you're going to enlist a bunch of women to the cause of men for whatever men are wanting to, to change. Now, fast forward 15 years later with hindsight. I was wrong. I was right and I was wrong. But now everywhere I go, I see gatherings of men. And, and whether it's in, in embodiment, uh, energetic, David Data field, whether it's, it's red pill, whether it's pickup, whether it's men going to divorce groups, whether it's going to mankind project, uh, it doesn't matter. And I've come to the conclusion that there is a worldwide men's movement, not around one thing. We're all coming at it, coming to it from different directions. But here is, is what I believe is that we as men are looking for a tribe. We grew up in tribes. Million and a half years of our evolution was spent in tribes. And for about the last, last 10,000 years, we, we got, when we got into an agrarian society, started living more alone. And, and for, for the closer we get to where we are right now, the more alone and isolated we men have gotten. We're looking, even if we don't know it, we're looking for a tribe. We think maybe we're just looking for some help after going through a divorce. Or we think maybe we're just looking for help to learn how to approach women and talk to them. Or we think we're just looking for some help to do this. But what we're looking for is tribe and initiation. And that's what this is. When I was listening, uh, especially to, to Donovan this morning, what he was talking about was masculine initiation. When we show up, and create and, and turn ourselves into high value men to attract high value women and then continue to practice those principles that got us there long after we found that high value woman to keep that high value woman interested. That is our masculine initiation. Now we have others, but that is a powerful one. And, and, and there's this, this reciprocal you know, process going on there as we raise our game. We're going to attract better women. And as we attract better women and, and we got this great woman in our life, we got to keep raising our game. And, and hopefully that, well, let me ask a question, a um, couple questions. And again, I can't see everybody's hands, but I can see a few. How many men in here hate women? I don't, I don't see one hand. Okay. So we get to rule this out that this is a women haters convention. Okay. That's ruled out. Nobody raised their hand. How many men here at times in their life or right now have had rage at women? Yeah, I have. When, when I was writing drafts of No More Mr. Nice Guy and handing them out to people, people gave me a lot of really good feedback. And, and, and one that I kept hearing was, uh, sounds like you have rage at women. I thought, oh, that's bleeding through. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought, I, but, but it, I thought to myself, but it's just run of the mill rage at women. I thought everybody had rage at women. Every woman I've ever known had rage at women, right? So, but that doesn't serve us. It's not going to move us forward. So how many people love women? How many people would love to have an amazing woman blessing your life? How many of you are willing to show up in such a way to set the tone and take the lead to create the healthiest relationship possible to bless both your life and her life? That sound like a plan? Okay. That's our masculine initiation. That is going to grow us the fuck up. And we're going to keep growing the fuck up until the day we die. Hello. My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. Get any group of men in a room together, and you'll know that it's virtually impossible to get them to all agree on something. Whether it's martial arts movies, whiskey, axes versus hatchets, fanny packs, or which is the best pair of Jordans, someone's always got an outlier opinion, and good on that. But, in this movement which spans millions of men all over the globe, As far as I can tell, those of us in it seem to unanimously agree on the impact and timeless relevance of a single slim book, which is now more than 20 years old. In fact, long before I'd ever heard of the Manosphere, swallowed my red pill, or even conceived that there was a renaissance well underway and going on all around me, a good friend in a men's group back in 2013 suggested I read the book. At the time, I didn't follow his advice, but I almost wish I had, even though I know I wasn't ready because the book has an almost diagnostic quality to it. It enables the men who read it to look into a harsh but loving mirror, which shows them why their beliefs about the world are wrong, why their actions and their lives don't produce the results they want, and how deep within them lives a pool of rage, which splashes out sometimes when they least expect it. All those things absolutely describe me back in 2013, as I can now see. The book, of course, is No More Mr. Nice Guy, and its author is Dr. Robert Glover. Though he has a doctorate, his book has its power not because he's a scientist or scholar, but because it's drawn from his own journey from being a nice guy to becoming an authentic, integrated man. But because he also has a doctorate, there's a thoroughness to it as well, dealing with how being a nice guy affects men's quality of life and everything from work to sex to intimate relationships, friendships, and more. For these reasons, it's become a timeless classic, and many rightfully call it the gateway drug to the red pill because No More Mr. Nice Guy accurately diagnoses the problem and its solutions, while other books get more deeply into the causes for those who wish to learn more. So naturally, no podcast about this worldwide movement of men would be complete without speaking to a man who drafted a canonical work of it, which is why I was thrilled that Dr. Sean T. Smith connected me with Dr. Glover after our podcast a couple months ago. Thanks, Sean. In our extended conversation, Dr. Glover and I discussed how men today are truly seeking tribes, and where they look, including the pickup community, martial arts schools, churches, men's groups, and more. The danger of purity tests and fundamentalism in the men's movement, because it creates unnecessary divisions and mutual harm between brothers. How the distractions in our everyday environment rob us of our connection to our inner emotional state, and why we need to learn to take time for ourselves. How women aren't the source of the love we need, and can't ever make us feel complete. And finally, an incredible discussion about the higher and lower natures of the masculine and feminine, and how that relates to the famous serenity prayer, a lesson I'll never forget. Even if you've never been a nice guy, Dr. Glover's book and ongoing work still provide valuable guidance about understanding oneself as a man, standing up and speaking up, 
in a world where men are increasingly shamed into silence. It's also refreshing to hear a man speak his truth quietly, clearly, and confidently. And I hope in Dr. Glover's wisdom, all the men listening, of any age and background, will come together in a spirit of unity, brotherhood, and strength. So it's with great pleasure I introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, Dr. Robert Glover. Robert, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's good to be here with you. You know, this is really exciting for me to chat with you because long before I had ever heard about anything called the Manosphere or the Red Pill or any of this men's movement, really, a friend of mine recommended your book to me. He said, Will, you should really read this book. And I didn't really take him too seriously at the time. And I ended up finding the book a couple years later and I picked it up and I read it. I said, oh, I probably should have read that back then. <laughs> so thank you for all the work that you've done on behalf of men and in, in, in writing this book and, and your continued contributions. Well, you, you're welcome. And I'm, I'm glad your friend recommended it. I'm glad you got around to reading it. I'm glad we get to talk today. Excellent. Well, I think the first thing I'm curious about is I've seen one of your talks before and uh, you discussed how you were kind of surprised by the reception of the book, I guess you'd say, where you just kind of put this thing together almost for yourself in a way, and it sort of has taken on a life of its own. I wonder if you can talk a bit about that. Well, yeah, the the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, I, I started writing it with no intention of writing a book, you know, over 25 years ago. I, I had gotten into... Uh, therapy myself and gotten into a 12-step program and then later joined a men's group. And what 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 brought all that about is, is that basically in my second marriage, my now ex-wife saying, you know, everybody thinks you're such a nice guy, but you're really not. You know, you can be such an ass to me. You can be passive aggressive. You can hurt me, embarrass me, put me down and you've got to go get help. So I, I, I went to go get help trying to figure out why me being a nice guy didn't make my wife appreciate me more or treat me better or want to have sex. Mm. And um, as I started, you know, just looking at my own issues around honesty and approval seeking and uh, lack of boundaries and, and just a lot of those things that were core to what was going on within me. Uh, I, I was a marriage and family therapist at that time in private practice. And I started noticing a lot of men coming into couples therapy with their wives. And when I first started in couples therapy, it's usually the women driving, you know, dragging their men in with them. Yeah. But, you know, I started noticing a difference of, of, of the men that were dragging their wives into therapy. And the guys were saying stuff like, I'm a nice guy. I'm one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I treat her better than her ex. I'm raising her kids. I give her everything she wants. Um, you know, I treat her well. It's never good enough. She's never happy. When's it going to be my turn? She never wants to have sex anymore. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, I can finish these guys' sentences for them. Mm -hmm. And because I thought maybe this was just an isolated thing. There's this thing about me thinking, if I'm a nice guy, everybody will like me and love me and I'll get my needs met without me ever having to ask. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I quickly found out I wasn't the only guy like that. And I had no idea how many uh, there, there were at that time uh, worldwide. But so I started a No More Mr. Nice Guy men's group about 25 years ago and probably a little bit longer ago than that. And I just every Wednesday just started writing some stuff to, to give them stuff I was learning about uh, how I became a nice guy, things that didn't work, what our, our reasoning, our logic, our paradigm was, things to do more effectively. And I just kept writing and handing these things out to the guys. And, and uh, in time, they and often their wives were saying things like, you, you should write a book, you should go on Oprah, there's lots of people that need this. 
So over a period of maybe six, seven years, I, I kept writing and turned it into a book and took it about three years to get it published. And then, um, so it came out in print in early 2003. Mm-hmm. So as we talk now in 2021, uh, uh, I'll let someone else do the math on that, but about, right. eight, about 18 years or so ago. And, um, and like I said, it took a long time to get a publisher because, and, and my agent shopped it to a, a lot of publishing companies and a lot of editors said, we like your book, Robert, but uh, our, our marketing department says men won't buy a self-help book. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, you don't know the men I'm, I'm, I'm writing to. And maybe if you actually gave them something to, to buy, they would buy it. And, and so the book came out and, and, you know, it, it did okay. Nothing spectacular for the first few years, but say about seven, eight, nine years ago, it really has begun to take off. And I think it just took time and momentum, word of mouth, you know, guys, like you had a friend tell you, I hear that a lot of friends mm-hmm. told me, uh, people say, well, somebody in my 12 step program told me about it. My therapist gave it to me. My ex-wife gave it to me. You know, I, I've, I've heard all, I, I was on a, a Manosphere blog and somebody mentioned it and I got it. Uh, Amazon said I should buy it. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's really, it's really just taken off. And, um, I think it's really become part of a worldwide men's movement of, of men seeking more, uh, seeking tribe, seeking consciousness, seeking connection with other men, seeking love and good sex. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited that it's, 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 it's done what it's done and that it has reached a, a larger audience. Mm, it definitely has. I mean, I think everyone, I have a section on my website, rentofmen.com, and I call it the library. And it's a list of all the books that have been produced in this men's movement. And I have a section called The Essential Canon. And this includes books like uh, Iron John by Robert Bly, The Way of Men by Jack Donovan. And of course, your book is part of that as well. It's just one of those books that if you really want to understand what's going on in this movement of men around the world, it's foundational. But also, if you want to understand yourself better as a man, period, it's absolutely foundational. Because I don't think that anyone had ever really documented this phenomenon of these unfulfilled men who appeared to be following all the rules. Like this was me. Like I was doing, I'm doing everything that I've been told to do. Why? Like this is everything that my society had told me to do. My parents, my mother had told me to do. Women ostensibly said, this is what they wanted me to be. And I'm doing it and it's not working. Why? And then I read the book and I'm sure you've heard this countless times. Well, I, I, yeah, I've said that countless times. How come I'm doing everything right and, and women aren't attracted to me or, you know, they don't want to be with me or, or, you know, how come, how come, how come, how come I'll, I'll, Hey, I'm doing it right. And, um, and you know, what was interesting is, you know, you mentioned Iron John and, and that was probably one of the first books I read. And mm-hmm. back in the day when I first started working on me, um, that basically the mythopoetic movement was about all that existed in the men's movement. Now, there were there were some other things. I just hadn't found them yet. Uh, Mankind Project's been mm-hmm. around quite some time. Sterling Men's Weekend's been around quite some time. Um, David Data's stuff's been out there for a while. Mm-hmm. But but when I first started, I yeah, the, the Internet barely existed and and they're just nowadays i mean just there's so much good stuff out there and being pointed to it and um it's interesting because you're right when when i started writing no more mr nice guy nobody had ever really addressed the the issue of of passively pleasing men you know being so frustrated and not getting what they want and there being so many of them and i think i think every generation there's even more Mm -hmm. Uh, i I think it's an expanding phenomena but kind of a core piece is most men, it doesn't matter if you identify as a nice guy or not, most men have grown up hearing what we're not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You're not, 
Don't be that. Don't be that. Don't be that. And very few of us have gotten direction in just being ourselves and, and being supportive of that. Mm-hmm. No matter what, what, what our own personal, uh, genetic, you know, inheritance is. And it was interesting. I, I was actually rereading through No More Mr. Nice Guy just a few months ago mm-hmm. as we were updating a, a, a version on Amazon. And while reading it again, you know, it was definitely written towards codependent men. You know, mm-hmm. and men that want to please and get approval. But as I was reading it, it really struck me that it it really is a manual for all men. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just the passively pleasing guys. So even men that don't identify with nice guy traits, um, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, blow my own horn about it. But there's good stuff in there about boundaries, about making your needs a priority, about connecting with men. And those are things that, that all men Need, need access to, not not just self-identified nice guys. Yeah, I don't think any man who's wanting to improve himself would look at that book and say, oh, no, I don't recognize anything of myself in there, or that I can't get anything from that. I mean, that, I don't think that you wrote that book. You wrote, you wrote a book that is fundamentally about men, and we all have much more in common than sometimes seems evident on the surface. You know, we were yeah. talking just briefly before we restarted the recording and saying how there seems to be two different kinds of men right now. There are men who are the nice guys that we're talking about, but there are men that can't relate to that aspect of being a nice guy at all. And it seems like these two sides of men have a lot to give each other, but they don't really know how to communicate that there are men that are coming from a, a, a tougher background or or have you know traditionally more masculine kind of self-image. And they look at the nice guy and there's a lot of judgment there. And I happen to know a lot of nice guys, myself included, you know, I've done a ton of work and it was like working to get out of that. Like, I just wanted to understand like, look, I'm trying to be like you. I'm doing the best that I can. You know, I'm coming from a completely different place. And I think if those two different categories of men could communicate better with each other, they would have a, a ton to share each other because they both have unique gifts that they can give. And, and I agree with you. And, you know, and you, you and I were like, so we're talking a little bit about the manosphere and, and I, I don't spend much time out. In the, well, I'll, I'll, I'll revise that. I don't spend any time on the manosphere. Right. right. Um, unless you count my website as part of the manosphere. Right. And, and that's not to say there's not a lot of, of good stuff out there. There, there is, there's so much good stuff out there for men. And, you know, here, here's the thing. Um, when I, when I went on my book tour, like I said, back in 2003 for No More Mr. Nice Guy, did a lot of interviews with, you know, mainstream news media, uh, local and national. And, um, I was asked the question a lot. Did I see uh, a worldwide men's movement coming, uh, much like feminism had been in the sixties and seventies. And I said, no, I didn't see it for, for a few reasons. One, I didn't think there was one unifying factor to bring men together. Maybe the closest thing that's been unifying is, is, um, father's rights and divorce. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's how, how, how in so many areas, men just take it up the ass when they get divorced financially <laughs> yeah. and access to their kids. And, and, you know, that's one thing that I thought might bring men together. But the other thing that I said, I didn't think there'd be a, a worldwide men's movement because I'm convinced that the, that feminism succeeded to the degree it did because men helped it succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, university presidents, legislators, judges, men said, yes, there's, there's, there's things we need to correct here. And men helped correct the errors that early feminism was complaining about, especially around, you know, equal rights and equal opportunities. And it's turned into a lot more than that since, since the sixties and seventies, but men helped it succeed. And I don't mm-hmm. think it would, if men didn't say we, we need to right the wrongs here. It's the same thing, you know, with, with racial injustice. Um, you know, good people have said we need to right the wrongs. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think there'd be any kind of worldwide movement, but I, I, I realized in some ways I was wrong. 
Um, I think I was right in that maybe there's no one thing, but even then maybe I was wrong. What I've found is that men are searching and, and the internet has given them a place to go do their search. And not just the internet, but other things as well. And what I see is that I think men, whether they know it or not, are seeking tribe. They're seeking connection with mm-hmm. other men. Historically, humans, human males have spent the majority of their lifetime around men, not around women, mm-hmm. mostly around men. And and that's just changed so much over the last 50 to 100 years. And, and now, you know, men are really disconnected from men. So I, I see men coming into looking for tribe in a lot of different ways, some healthier than others. I see men looking for tribe maybe in a 12-step program mm-hmm. or in martial arts or maybe getting into pickup. You know, they'd say, I want to get laid. I want to get women. But the truth is they go band with some other guys mm-hmm. and they go out, you know, and try to go pick up women. Um, uh, you know, divorced dads. um, even men's groups and churches. There, there are so many ways that men are looking for tribe. Um, believe it or not, even I think a lot of the even um, the nationalism and uh, white supremacy, you know, that's a lot of that still just men looking for tribe. Mm-hmm. It can it can get toxic. It, it can it can get skewed. But I still see that that the core need for men is to be with men and connect with men, usually around some activity, some. Um, a cause, right, mm-hmm. that we're going to stand up, we're going to work together, or just wanting to grow as men, and we need other men to help us do that. And so that's what excites me the most, is that I really do think there's a worldwide men's movement, not all around, you know, 12-step, or not all around red pill, or not all around embodiment, or not all around consciousness, or not all around yoga, or not all around, but but it's men seeking groups of men mm-hmm. to become them best, their best selves. And that that excites the hell out of me. That is literally what I'm doing. That is literally the meaning of the renaissance of men. Because in 2003, uh, the way that I see it, you actually, there's been about 20 years of history that's taken place that's allowed, you know, the way the way things looked on the ground in 2003 was there was basically the mythopoetic guys. Some of the, some of the pickup guys were kind of doing a couple things, but it was yeah. really in the underground. There wasn't really the internet and there wasn't the ability for men doing this to kind of see each other. With the growth of the internet, you had the red pill community, then you have this I don't know what you'd call it, the sort of warrior energy where men are working on self-improvement, fitness, finance, you know, those sorts of aspects. Mm-hmm. And then you have yeah. it culminating now in the 21 convention. And then you have the next evolution of the 21 convention, which is the patriarchs event, which is bringing it all the way back around to fatherhood. And so right. I look at this 40-year process that began with uh, that began with the mythopoetic guys in the 1980s, you know, with Iron John, with Robert Bly, as culminating now in this in this rediscovery of fatherhood and, like you say, this need to establish tribes. And I look at that entire 40-year process as a leaderless movement that's taking place through the lives of men organically in our own searching for answers. Yeah. And I call that the Renaissance of men because, like the Italian Renaissance, there was no leader of the Renaissance. It was this thing that happened organically as Italian society in these city-states in the 1400s began and the philosophers and the and the engineers and the musicians and the artists began asking questions about individuality. And they all sort of started feeding off of each other and created this cultural engine that generated a revolution, not really a revolution, but a, a rebirth in European right. society. I see the exact same thing happening in the world of men all over the world. And that's why I call it the Renaissance of men. And that's what we're living through. And it, it is exciting because like you, I, I never quite hurt, looked at it that way, but there's a leader, leaderless uh, renaissance because yeah, whether we go back to, uh, you know, Robert Bly, uh, Michael Mead, um, mm-hmm. David D'Angelo, David Data, 
um, Jordan Peterson, Rollo Tomasi, my works. I mean, mm. e- even the pickup guy. Um, mystery. No, not uh, mystery, but I was thinking more of Neil Strauss. Um, Neil Strauss. Yeah, why couldn't yeah. I think of Neil's name? You know, and, and people might not think of, you know, the, 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 um, whether it be The Truth or whether, whether it be, you know, uh, his first book. You know, well, are these men movement books? Yeah, they are. Because mm-hmm. like, like I said, you know, 20 years ago, publishing industry was saying, you know, well, we don't publish books for men because men don't buy them. Well, maybe you don't put them out there. Or maybe you don't put things out there that they want to read. And maybe Amazon has helped kind of correct that as well, that it's so much easier to get published now. Um, but, but as you say, this comes without one single leader, one mm-hmm. single charismatic person. I mean, there's a lot of charismatic people out there. But, you know, it's interesting. You can talk to people in the David Data tribe, and they've never heard of Rollo, Rollo Tomasi. Mm-hmm. You can talk to people that, you know, are kind of more in the Jordan Peterson tribe, and, you know, they've never heard of this part over here. And I think that's only a matter of time until mm-hmm. that all really gets blurred and joined together a, as well. And and I think, you know, there's there's a lot of people like you doing interview podcasts out there that, that br- are bringing in a lot of those influences and, and putting them out there to the world. So, you know, somebody that maybe has heard of Rollo Tomasi, you know, now hears of David Data or John Wineland or my stuff. And, and it's just, it's just a great synergy that's happening. It's a virtuous, it's a virtuous cycle because once you discover one side of masculinity or one aspect of masculinity, for example, I came in through the Mankind Project. In fact, I just released a podcast today with Boys and Hodgson, the man, the communications director of the Mankind Project USA. Mm-hmm. And so my entry into the into the this men's movement was with my new warrior training adventure back in 2013. And that just made me so hungry for more information. So then, you know, then I discovered your book and I discovered Jack Donovan and I discovered John Eldridge and Ryan Mickler. And it's every one of these guys, and there are dozens of them, ever more all the time, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Ryan Landry, yeah. I can I mean we can obviously, you know, David Data, of course, is foundational as well, and Red Rollo, like you say. And it, every one of these guys has a slightly different take on the same thing. And they're all working towards this image of what is masculinity. And every guy's got a piece of it for himself. And you know, mm-hmm. I don't know that no one guy has the truth, right? But this is the great thing about men when they're working together is we don't necessarily need one guy to have a truth. We don't need a, the men's movement Bible. It's like, no, no, no. The excitement is that it is all these different perspectives that we get to mash together inside ourselves and put into practice in our own lives and try this on. Okay, maybe that didn't work. Okay, now I'll try this on. And that's what, that's what sort of turns it into this adventure that you get to live through in your own development of being a man. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the 21 convention. You know, I, I spoke there year before last and uh, going into it, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I had to do some research and best I could tell it had started out kind of as a pickup mm-hmm. convention and it evolved more towards red pill. And, um, and I, and I went really not knowing uh, a lot of what to expect and didn't know many of the people involved in it. It just wasn't the niche of, of the men's work I'd been involved with and got there. And I, 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 I had just an amazing time. I'd spend a lot of time sitting out in the lobby in between sessions and countless guys approached me and said, mm-hmm. are you Dr. Glover? Are you no more Mr. Nice Guy? And I, I came to the realization that probably my book might be the, the gateway drug for a lot of guys into mm-hmm. Red Pill, that they, they read my book and they wanted to go find more. And I even stated, I didn't speak till Sunday afternoon after getting to hear a lot of the speakers and just thoroughly enjoyed just the, the quality of, of content. 
And uh, I, I began my talk by saying I don't identify as pickup and I don't identify as red pill. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. I'm so excited that, that, there, that this is happening and that I get to share kind of where I come from and, and maybe, you know, help help these men connect with something broader that they weren't formally, you know, connected to. And um, it's just such a positive experience. So I, I just I just love that that's going on. And, you know, I, I love that people like you are, are, you know, right there, you know, doing it, doing your part to make it happen as well. Well, thank you. And, and you know, I, I am doing this because of your work. You know, I get to stand on the shoulders of giants such as yourself and get to look out over this landscape of this incredibly exciting moment for what it means to be a man. Because I think for hundreds of years, thousands of years, being a man was something that was, it was just a, it was just something that you did. You didn't really have a choice in this way. And then we dissolved all the societal boundaries for about a hundred years. And now we're all swimming around in the soup of everything and recognizing <laughs> that this doesn't really work so well either, you know, sort of we took yeah. things too far. But now out of this chaos, we get to kind of look at the past and look at the sort of the present moment and also look at the future and sort of put all these things together and say, okay, now how can we take the best out of all of this and make what it means to be a man in a way that serves men, not the way that serves some sort of cultural agenda, but that serves us individually yeah. as men. And I think that's the really important piece. And your work is, you know, as I say, is foundational for that because there are a lot of men that come into this moment that look, as you say, at the at some of the teachings of feminism, even some of the right ones, and say that, okay, yeah, let's let's right some wrongs. And they sort of internalize that in their bodies. But then they t- and then society drives them further in. But then they take it too far. And society doesn't really give them the opportunity to kind of deprogram or even question those things. That's the thing. There's no place to go like, well, what if I wanted to just kind of question this? It's like, you don't get to do that. But your book gives permission for men to begin doing that, which I think is one of the reasons why it's so important. I, I hope there's a lot of questioning going on. Mm-hmm. Um, questioning of of you know the, the you know the the model that our parents and grandparents lived under. Mm-hmm. The questioning the post-feminist model. You know, questioning you know. I hope, I hope we can question everything. I hope we can question everything happening within the men's movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I, I mean, we're kind of look at the other side of this. You can see this politically in so many areas. You know, in Europe, the United States is that groups are seem to be driving more to the extremes. Mm-hmm. And once you start getting to the extremes, you you, you kind of get a purity, so to speak. And I don't mean that in a good way, mm. but a purity of, no, to be part of us, you have to buy into this. You have to, mm. you speak these words, have this belief system. And I, you know, I don't care if we're getting to, you know, to, to the far right or the far left, mm-hmm. um, and 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 things seem seem to be skewing that direction, and I you know I, I think there's it's understandable maybe what drives that um, you know uh, social media and and even news media tends to drive those extremes, but I think I think we'll we'll do better if if we can question and not be put into a camp and said all right you're in this camp you got to you you must believe this or you say this whether it's the outside people saying that's the camp you're in because people try to do that with me at times they go well, you're in this camp or mm-hmm. you're in that mm-hmm. camp and i go well not really mm-hmm. and i'm just making this shit up as i go i'm not <laughs> I'm, I'm not in any particular camp I, I try to you know i try to pick and choose what makes sense to me so yeah i hope i hope if your people are listening you know if and and, I, and i've seen this I, i've seen it in parts of the men's movement where where one side thinks they they've got the truth and the other side thinks they've got the truth and and um and 
that maybe that's just a natural thing that has to happen, but I don't think it's going to serve us as men well when, when we get off thinking we're holier than thou or we're more righteous or we've got more truth or we've figured it out and they haven't. And, you know, maybe it sells books, but I'm not sure, sure it serves men. Well, I think purity tests in the way that you're talking about, litmus tests, I love that distinction, by the way, because it's sometimes very difficult to tell when does something go too far? Something goes too far when you begin drawing hard boundaries and say you're either in or out, you know, between yeah. who would be yeah. natural. And that's a really good way of that's a really good way of putting it. I think most people are probably not in that camp. But they, of course, on either side, you get people, well, you have to believe this and think this and say these words. And it's like, yeah, no. And then, okay, so suddenly suddenly now we're enemies. Like, how did that happen? You know? Yeah. So I think that's a really, that's a really good distinction. And like you have also seen, you know, conversations in the manosphere, like, oh, is he red pill or blue pill or purple pill? And to some extent, you know, like it's good, it's good as a way of understanding, but if it becomes a label to categorize and sort of dismiss somebody, like you're just you're just kind of dismissing somebody's as a natural ally, and we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. And maybe we have slightly different perspectives on it, but there's no right or wrong. But I think this is also gets to the point, your point about tribalism, like men are very tribally driven. Or becoming, we are, we are. And, and so there is something about putting the jersey on, say, I've got the red pill jersey on, they've got the yeah. purple pill jersey, or whatever it is, or the black pill jersey, you know, pick your yeah. favorite color. Yeah, my team. My team's better because because that's my is my team, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, God blessed us, you know, and and you know, and and, and I'm glad we're having this discussion because um, I think that's one of the most hurtful things that, that can happen within the men's movement is is that we get all tribal about it, mm. and you know, like when I identified nice guys, it wasn't like to put a certain group of men in a box and saying, oh, you know, you poor pathetic man. It was really to, to, to identify what's not working and, and what, what can we do that works better. Mm -hmm. So when I hear in some circles where, oh, you know, we, we, we've got, whether we refer to somebody as blue pill or average frustrated chump, as if we're looking down on them, like they're, mm -hmm. they're inferior, they're in a class below. We, mm -hmm. you know, they give us they give us something to make us feel superior because, you know, we, we have the right. And, and you know, I, I, I react to that because I grew up in fundamental Christianity mm. and, and I have two degrees in religion. I went to, you know, fundamental Christian college and, and, you know, I, I just grew up with all of that. We've got the truth. We've got the right understanding. Mm. Everybody else are sinners. They're all going to hell. Mm. They're, you know, God doesn't care about them. And, you know, I, I've just grown up with that. I, I, I don't want to see, you know, that happening to, to, to people I care about. And that's, that's the men. I, I care about men. I, I, I really don't even work with women anymore. My, my love is working with men and, and I hate to see men be hurtful to other men. I mean, we've mm -hmm. all gotten enough, we've gotten enough bullshit projected onto us in, you know, whether it be from school, from religion, or our parents or feminism or whatever, you know, the whole toxic masculinity, the groups, mm -hmm. everything that men do is bad. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, mansplaining and manspreading and all, all the negativity mm -hmm. towards men. We don't need to be doing that to each other. Mm -hmm. And, and we got to find our way through that. And, and hopefully, hopefully we are finding our way through it. I think so. I think so. And that's why, you know, I, I speak very highly of the Mankind Project because that was my entry into this world, which of course is an enormous world. But what I appreciated about what that organization does is it takes men that are sort of more traditional nice guys and it introduces them to the side of themselves that's passionate and fiery 
and is able mm-hmm. to speak up and, and establish boundaries. And it also takes men that are sort of tough guy, macho guys, and lets them see their own more emotional and sensitive nature. And these are both halves of what it means to be a man. I know that some guys are not comfortable with the fact that, yes, men have emotions. It's okay. Being ruled by emotions is one thing. You know, like the, no one wants to be ruled by our emotions. We have to be in control of our emotions, but they're still okay to have. And both of those men have something to teach each other. The tough guy can help teach a nice guy how to be more fiery. The nice guy can teach a tough guy how to be a bit more in touch with his emotions and be more sensitive, for example, to his wife and his kids to the extent that's, you know, we need to have that and to facilitate healthy relationships. We're not enemies. And like you say, the average frustrated chump, beta, stuff like that. It's really a way for men just kind of throw rocks and pick on each other. It's like, guys, come yeah. on, we got to come out of the schoolyard. Yeah, we, 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 we did that in junior high. It doesn't serve us. And, um, and, and it, it really, I think, still just shows insecurities. I think when we have to put somebody else down for us to feel superior, it's because we don't. We, mm-hmm. we, we still feel insecure. And, and, you know, to think, well, I've got the truth, whether, whether we're a Republican, a Democrat, a fundamental Christian, or, or whatever, to think, I've got the truth, that makes me a chosen one, makes me superior – that is toxic, and, mm-hmm. and that's that's led to so many of the problems we deal with throughout well, throughout human history. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and you know, I've I've been through the Mankind Project as well, mm-hmm. and um, I, I I just I, I I like their approach. I like, and you know, I've spoken with the the, the very guy you interviewed earlier. Poison. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Again, uh, you know, I'll just kind of wrap that up and say there, there's so many good things out there. And, I, and I'll tell, I, I guess if I could say anything to men, sample them. Get mm-hmm. out there and look around. Yeah. Yeah. Look at red pill stuff. Look at embodiment stuff. Look at Mankind Project. Look at Jordan Peterson stuff. You know, just there's, there's so much out there that we can draw from that can really, and really, really all we're trying to do here is just keep evolving as men to keep growing and being our best selves and having our best lives without having, you know, any self-imposed or externally imposed barriers say, you know, no, don't be that, be this. No, I'm going to be me mm-hmm. and I'm going to be the best version of me. And I'm going to surround myself with a posse and a tribe of men to help me be the best version of me. Mm-hmm. And it's so essential. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep preaching that let's, um, let's work together. Let's create, let's create one, a lot of little tribes within one big tribe. All right. You're, mm-hmm. you're the Brazilian jujitsu tribe. That's great. You're, mm-hmm. you're the Jordan Peterson got a lobster on your shirt tribe. You, you're the men going your own way tribe. You're the incel tribe. You're the red pill tribe. Mm-hmm. You're the embodiment tribe. You're the David data tribe. Cool. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get together and, 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 and let's, let's just support the hell out of each other. Mm-hmm. That's the very spirit of the Renaissance of men. That's why my my whole brand exists is to get men to see. Because if we were to travel back in time to, say, the 1400s and the 1500s in Italy, you know, there would probably be guys following Leonardo da Vinci and guys following Michelangelo and Raphael and Titian and all these different artists, and they're all doing different things in their own different ways. And I'm sure they had their own tribes and clubs and the people they hang out with. Like, oh, we don't we don't associate with them because they're not cool for whatever you know whatever artistic reason. But they still all work together to create this rebirth in human civilization in the West. And so that's what I that's what I see us doing. And the whole spirit of what I'm doing is so that men can look at each other and say, you're doing the same thing as me, just in a slightly different way. And then also so that men who are curious 
can do as you say, which is to sample. Like, don't take Jordan Peterson as the end of the road. That's if that's your way in, that's the door. Like the Mankind yeah. Project was the door in for me for yeah. some. And you know, you're the door. Your book is the door in, or Jack Donovan name. We've come up with dozens of yeah. names. Twelve, but, 12 steps was the door for me to get in. So, you know, there, there's so many different doors. And I, I love that. I, I just love that that it, it looks like that. Mm-hmm. It's exciting because it means it's, it turns this into a journey. If you if you think that you've because you've read a book you've reached the end of your journey of what it means to be a man and now you have the truth like well you've become pretty fundamentalist in a way haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So as as you're talking with men now, do you still work with men? I guess in in part of your work and and nice guy coaching oh, oh, and twelve yeah. program. How's that? How is that looking from your end right now? Oh, I I love what I do. You know, I I I, I turned sixty five last December and Happy you birthday. know what what. Went on, um, on, um, it seems like I'm having senior moments today. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say, I, I, starting this call out, there's some stress in my home. Uh, oh. I'll, but uh, my, um, my wife's sister, who had been staying with us for a little time because she came to visit and take care of our kids a week ago while my wife and I were traveling, uh, came down with COVID and oh. she's in the hospital right now. Okay. And, and not doing so well. And I think maybe that's, that stress is just, kind of hanging over. Sure, sure. So, um, so would you like anyway, me to edit I, that out by the way of the broadcast? No, okay. No, you, you can leave it. It's real. It's, it's what's going on in life. Okay. Um, and, and so we're all dealing with life, but I actually forgot where I was going with that. So you can oh, kind we're of, talking about the men's, we're of, talking about the men, what men's work looks like from your side with your nice guy coaching. And, yeah. So, you know, where I'm at, like I said, turned 65, went, went on uh, Medicare, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm on Medicare. I can't believe that. But, you know, I, I, I love what I do. I don't plan on retiring. I'm, my intention is to write at least 10 more books, and I, so I write every day. I, I do some one-on-one consultation. I I'm, I'm do workshops and seminars. I have some virtual workshops going on right now. I have an online university where I teach courses primarily for men. And uh, I'm in my own men's program. You know, I, I'm in a program with a guy named John Wyland, Wyland, who's highly influenced by David Data. And um, I, I'm just surrounded with men. I'm, I'm, I'm married, uh, raising kids again. I've got two stepkids the same age as my granddaughter. So I, I, I need still that men support. I, I need to be around men. And so, um, yeah, my life is just filled. I, I'll, after this, I've got another interview. Uh, with another person that works with men and, and that's pretty regular in my life. And, and so, yeah, my life just swims in, in men with men and men's work. So mm-hmm. I'm like the luckiest guy on the planet. You mm-hmm. know, I, I couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah. It's incredibly exciting to, for just for myself, because I lived in the world of women for a very long time with women friends and my girlfriend, and that was my whole life. And then when I finally emerged into the world of men, it's a complete mental shift. And it was so much more so much more, I guess, stable would be the word. Like I felt so much more comfortable because there, there's a very clear sense of boundaries and a sense of mutual understanding and dependability and reliability. That's not to say that women are not dependable or stable or yeah. any of those things. It's just a different feeling of men being around men versus a man being in a, in a world of women and how that I think that a lot of men don't recognize, especially nice guys, that this is actually disorienting to you in a way because it's not where you're supposed to be. Well, and, and just using that as an example, I mentioned, you know, the kind of the stress in my home. Um, my wife and I got back from visiting my mother mm, two weeks ago. Uh, no, just over a week ago. And like I said, my sister-in-law was here watching the kids and was sick. And um, come find out she had both COVID and dengue. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Wow. And and so um, my wife is 
taking good care of her, had to put her in the hospital Sunday morning. That's been stressful. I mentioned to you before we started the call, I got back down here and both of my Mac computers went on the blank when they mm. uploaded the, the new Mac operating system. And so I was just feeling stressed out and just feeling just kind of overwhelmed. And the first thing I did was reached out and connected with at least half a dozen friends and say, let's get on Zoom and talk in the next week. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I just pulled a bunch of my guy friends together. And, and that's what I've been doing since I got back down here and started feeling that overwhelm of just the chaos and the uncertainty and technology not working the way it's supposed to. And, you know, my life is built around technology. Mm-hmm. First thing I did is I reached out to men. And, um, you know, for most of us, you know, we guys will reach out to television or the internet or to porn or to women or to food or to pot or video games. And none of those things serve us. None of those fill us up. None, none of them put gas in our tank or money in the bank. So um, men will. Our connections with men are what get us through the challenges in life. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of, again, that whole tribe thing of us having our tribe that we can depend on to help us deal with, you know, just the chaos of, of just the feminine existence the, you know, throughout the centuries the feminine has been seen as the chaotic, the, the, the constantly moving, uh, and, and the masculine is the thing that contains that chaos. So we, we need our masculine connections to, to, to give us that strength because we live in a, we live in a feminine world. That's not to say a world ruled by women. I'm using feminine, mm-hmm. just the term of an energetic polarity state. Mm, say more about that. Say more about that energetic polarity state because I think a lot of people are really want to collapse that into oh we live in this feminine dom this, this female dominated society and they want to they want to take things to that point. But I can, I find that it's helpful yeah. to differentiate the energy state from the actual the actual gender human being. I guess you might say. So say more about that. Well, uh, you know, the, I can't say I'm an expert on this, but you know, culture is spoken of of masculine and feminines and use different terms for it. Yin and yang, light and darkness, cold and hot have all been used as a way of talking about the polarities of, of, of all existence. And we've now over time come to call it masculine feminine. But what we start thinking then, well, men are masculine, women are feminine. And I, I think that that, that doesn't, is it's not educational mm-hmm. and how I've, I've broken it down. And, and, and a lot of this has been highly influenced by, by David Data's work, but I've kind of gone my own directions with it is to simply break it down is, is that the masculine does the masculine is, is, is what penetrates the, the universe is what contains everything. And the feminine is done too, for good or for bad. Mm-hmm. And we all have a masculine and feminine side to us. And that's what gets so confusing sometimes. You say, well, you're a guy, you're supposed to be like this, or you're a woman, you're supposed to be like that. And if if, if the masculine part of us does, um, you know, that's the part that, that goes out and, 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 again, gets things done, puts a dent in the universe. And the feminine part of ourself is the part that is done, too, for good or for bad. The feminine part of ourself is very vulnerable. We could even call it our inner child because children are feminine by nature. Mm-hmm. And all these feminine creatures out there have been told, you know, now for, you know, a few decades, you're supposed to be more masculine, go out and get a degree, go get a career, go kick some ass. So they're they're out there doing a lot. And what's happened is a lot of women have lost complete 
connection with their feminine side because there's so much in their masculine mm-hmm. now. So now they're 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 hard, they're 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 rigid, they're controlling, they're angry, they're complaining, they're bitter, and that's because they they've, they've lost connection of of just that juicy feminine side they have. And what happens with us men is we completely ignore the fact that we have a feminine side, and we we go out and try to get what I'd call our feminine needs met by connecting with women. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm going to get really, really out here now. And I've been sharing this for about a year now with guys I work with, and it seems to resonate. If you think about it, and we've often thought of women as being the source of love. Oh, women are loving. We speak of mothers and love. Valentine's, and, you know, romance is all about, you know, women and mm-hmm. love and, you know, the feminine. But if love is intentional and action, it's intention into action. That strikes me, it's the way I define it, as a masculine trait. Because the masculine does, the feminine is done too. It's the receiver. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's done too in beautiful ways. Sometimes it's done too in abusive ways. Mm-hmm. But the feminine in us, the feminine in every other creature, gets done too. So the, the act of love has to be a masculine action. Because it is an action. Right? Mm-hmm. Love isn't a sentiment. Love isn't, oh, I love you so much, but, you know. I'm not going to treat you well, or I'm not going to do anything for you. Mm -hmm. That's not love. It's intention and action. So what happens is when we men, because we think women, i.e. feminine creatures, are the source of love, we go out there and try to get them Mm -hmm. to love us and fill up our feminine need Mm -hmm. for love. Mm -hmm. And if they, you know, if they as more predominantly feminine creatures are waiting to be filled themselves and are spending so much time in their masculine at work and taking care of kids or just paying paying their bills, they got nothing left over. Mm-hmm. And then that's why we men get so frustrated. And that's why so many men end up going their own way or feeling like incels because we've gone to the wrong source to try to fill up our feminine needs. And our feminine need is about connection and love. So how I like to look at it, and, and again, I borrowed this from John Wineland, my coach, is that the the masculine in us men needs to husband the feminine in us. Mm-hmm. We, we need to nurture, and I call that, I call the feminine in us a big empty bucket with a hole in the bottom that wants to be constantly filled with love and connection. Mm-hmm. And if we go to other big empty buckets with bigger holes in the bottom, hoping that they will love us and fill us up, we're going to be cons- consistently resentful and frustrated with them. And I think that's what's contributed a lot of, of the male resentment towards women nowadays, is we believe this myth that they are the source of love, and they're going to come love us and make us complete. They don't have that ability. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not to say women can't love. My, my wife is a very loving person, but she also has a very strong masculine side. She expresses her love through the things that she does for me. Mm-hmm. Now, she also loves to just submit and open and, and be penetrated by me, to be filled by me, by mm-hmm. my masculine source. So I believe we men, if each of us, each man listening to this says, wait a minute, how do I husband my own feminine? How do I fill up my own empty bucket? and start consciously thinking about how to nurture ourselves. So like I said, when I was stressed out last week, what I do, I called a bunch of men, right? Mm-hmm. That men who could help fill my bucket. 
my need. Uh, I've done meditation since then. I've, I've practiced yoga. I sit outside in the garden of my house here in Mexico next to my dog, just scratching her ears and listening to birds and looking at flowers. And, and, and I, I've read books that help fill me. I've done things that fill my own bucket, which now allows, since my bucket's full, the masculine in me can go be purposeful and passionate and love my wife and take care of her through a difficult time right now. Mm -hmm. And she's told several times in the last two or three days, thank you so much for everything you've done for me. Thank you so much for being here for me. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a strong woman, but you know, this is her sister that maybe is going to die. You mm -hmm. know, she's in the hospital on a respirator and, and the news isn't sounding real good. And so for me to be there to take care of my wife, her, her empty bucket, I've got to first be taking, filling up mine to be there for her mm -hmm. and, and, and not expecting her. Well, how come you're not loving me back? How come you're not? And just the fact that she says, thank you for being there for me. It's all I need. Mm -hmm. Don't need anything more than that. Um, so that's how I like to break it down because I think that makes it really workable. And it's not like, you know, um, oh, you know, I, I, I hate the terms toxic masculine and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, toxic feminine. We're just people just bumbling our way through life. And I think if we have clarity for how to bumble it a little bit better, it, it can help. And so as I've been sharing this with men for about a year now, of the masculine, not men per se, but mm -hmm. the masculine as a source of love, the feminine as a receiver of love, is like, guys, the light bulb goes off over mm -hmm. their head. Oh, you mean if I do a better job taking care of myself, I won't feel so needy and dependent on women and so resentful towards them because they don't fill me up and meet my expectations and they make me crazy? And I go, exactly. And they mm -hmm. all go, I like that model. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like it that I'm no longer dependent and therefore resentful on women thinking that they're, they're supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z for me. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, really I can spend the majority of my time with men and, and that, that's what makes me feel complete and whole. And then I can give from the overflow. So now my wife, my kids, my mother, my granddaughter, the, the feminine creatures in my life, my dog, they get to benefit from the fact that I've just got love overflowing from my bucket rather than I'm empty bucket giving to get, hoping I get something back and feeling resentful when I don't. Mm, that's a that's a brilliant analysis because I think that's something that many men can relate to is this feeling of kind of being you know run dry by the doing of life. It seems like right now, especially, there's two, kind of two kinds of people. Some people have more work to do than they've ever had before in their lives, and some people have nothing to do. But certainly, many men can relate to being absolutely overworked and driving forward, going, doing, 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 and then just needing to relax somehow or needing to to feel loved or supported. And then they go to their wives or their partners and they find that they're not really able to be there for them. <laughs> their wives are doing, doing, doing yeah. as well, unfortunately. So what men tend to do is they turn to alcohol, porn, television, just junk food kind of things that don't really fill us up and just leave us really feeling empty and, and wanting more. And that's why kind of we're circling back to where we started with this. That's why we need men in our lives. Mm -hmm. we, we need, we, that's why we need masculine presence in our life mm -hmm. to help fill up our own bucket. And again, my wife can play that role. My mother can play that role. Um, but it, I primarily go to men mm -hmm. to, to get that, those needs met and get that nurturing.
you know, I mean, you're not going to men to say like, hey, I love you, and to hear I love you back. I mean, I think for men that manifests in very, <laughs> well, just to be clear, like, you, you know, obviously, you know, it manifests in this way of like, I go into my circle of brothers, and they're like, hey, how you doing? You look like you look like you gained a little weight or something like that. You know, should, are yeah. you taking care? Are you exercising? You know, I just read this book or here, I, you know, this movie was really good or just the ability to be to be checked and to be like, hey, no, I got you, bro. It's all right. You know, that's that's an incredibly supportive act. Just the feeling of like a hand on a shoulder. You know, it doesn't have to be this big dramatic. When we think of love, you know, in this kind of like eros kind of way, I mean, that's yeah. one of the, the the poverty of the English language is that there's so many different kinds of the words for love in the Greek language, and we just get one, and so we have to. Yeah. Contextualize it, but that sort of masculine support and and accountability and and uh, and and presence—that's a great way of putting it—is incredibly nurturing in its own way. And men being isolated from each other more than ever sort of deprives of, uh, deprives us of that source of of strength. And, and, and it does. And you know, I just I'm thinking out loud about something as we mm-hmm. talk. One of the pieces that I've found with with my relationships with feminine creatures, and, and this is true of the feminine in me. Mm. is that the feminine seems to project a lot out. You know, the feminine, because the feminine is done too, the feminine believes everything they feel is by, caused by something outside of them. You know, the, the masculine doesn't separate that out. The masculine just says what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Right? It does, right? The feminine says, well, I'm, I'm lonely. That must be somebody's fault. You know, I'm hurting. That must be somebody's fault. Mm-hmm. That's the feminine. That's mm-hmm. what it does. And so I know... I'm just actually, I'm singing out loud about this in my relationships with, with feminine creatures, like particularly wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had, I've had three now is, is that the, the thing I've struggled the most with in my marriages is what gets projected onto me by, by these mm-hmm. feminine creatures. Mm-hmm. You're this, you're that, you know, is there daddy issues? Is there other bad men that have treated them wrong issues in the past? You're going to cheat on me. You're going to leave me. You're this, you're controlling. And you know, I look at all this stuff and go, those are all your projections. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's just what happens with the feminine. My feminine projects as well. But the beauty is when I get with my guy friends, kind of like you're saying, I don't have to cut through or wade through a bunch of projection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can still happen. It can mm-hmm. still sure, happen. Of course. But with, but with my guy friends, they tend to see me who I am. They see my dark side. They, they you know, most of the, the program that I'm in with men, I, I've, I've got a lot of accountability groups set up with men in my life. So they know, they know my darkness. They, they, they know, you know, where, where I get off track. They, they know, you know, where, when I lose authenticity and integrity. And, and they'll call me out on it. But they call me out on, on what's real. Hey, Robert, you know, have, have you been exercising lately? Like mm-hmm. you said, mm-hmm. hey, hey, you've gained a few pounds. Robert, have you, have, you, have you been practicing? Have you been meditating? Have you reached out to other men? And, and those are all the things I know I need to do. But my guy friends will call that out with love mm-hmm. and because they love me and they care about me. Whereas the feminine creatures in my life, if I'm out of whack or this, they like project a bunch of stuff on me that now I get defensive. And well, I didn't do that. Why are you saying I did that? You know, and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm like defending myself and feeling done too. I'm in my feminine. You're attacking me. I don't deserve that. Blah, 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 blah. And again, that's, that's the beauty of what I see with my masculine friends mm-hmm. is they don't project their old history on me and I got to wade through it. They just see me as I am warts and all love me anyway and give whatever they can to help me through whatever I need help 
getting through. Mm-hmm. And they and and they do it firmly, directly with love. Mm-hmm. And um, man, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I tell my brothers I love them. Every now and then, like, my wife will walk by and I'll, I'll have a message. Or, I had an email from another interviewer the other day from uh, Australia. My phone walked by and she said, who do you have sending you hearts on your phone? <laughs> she's she's a, a, a jealous Latino woman. Sure. She's Mexican. And um, I go, I don't know. I said, I think I was looking at an email from an interviewer in Australia that was wanting to schedule. And I said, let's sit down and look. So mm-hmm. I just opened my, my phone up. Let's look, go look at the email. I'm scrolling. Sure enough, he said, Robert, I love your book. It's changed my life in so many ways and put three hearts after it. Oh, wow. I, 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 I didn't even really like even it didn't even register in my brain. I was right. just trying to figure out who is who is this guy and what's he asking? Oh, 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 yeah, he's the guy that wrote me earlier about doing an interview. And my wife walks by and just sees hearts and and she goes, "Well, what of your which of your guy friends are sending you hearts?" <laughs> I don't know. Let's sit down and look. So, I that's the thing I, I love. If if the masculine is a source of love, and you want to feel loved. Energize your masculine and go hang out with a lot of masculine creatures yeah. if you to feel loved and filled. Yes, as a man, as a man, and we can send each other hearts. Yes, we can get into proper emoji usage later in the conversation. But I think that <laughs> there's a whole whole another whole another interview right there. That's right. What 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 what's appropriate emojis for men to send each other? Exactly. You can probably do a whole podcast about that. Uh, so, but one of the things you said that I think is really interesting is you, you talked about uh, projection and how the belief of I'm being done to and how that is a particularly feminine thing. And I was thinking about that and I'm going to, I'm going to think out loud as well. And I sort of mapped that to myself. I said, okay, so if I think that I'm being done to and it's someone else's fault, well, then the first thought that flips up in my head is stoicism which is that no one's coming for you. It's your responsibility to take care of all this and, and sort it out. And how that's a very fundamental masculine kind of practice right now of, of the, the natural maybe human projection to, to adopt a victim mentality mindset in some way. But the, the propagation of Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and his whole philosophy, you know, even not, even not a tied to their names, there are of course many books about men and masculinity these days that, that are like, no, this is, or even Jocko Willink, like radical, radical ownership, radical, you know, radical ownership, I think is his term, where it's like, right. no, this is, this is on you that you can't be looking around and say, it's that person's fault or that person's fault. No, this is all on you. You take responsibility for it. It may not be your fault. It may not be part of your blame. Like you may have nothing to do with it. Nonetheless, it's your responsibility. And that sort of puts a check on that, on that blaming projection kind of viewpoint. And when you meet a man who's who's constantly blaming, you know, or it's it's his fault, it's his fault. There's something very kind of like, oh, I don't know that I want to be around that guy because he doesn't have that inner check of himself to say, no, you have to adopt the stoic nature and take responsibility for your life, as hard as it may be. You still have to do this. And that is a very masculine trait, a very masculine muscle that I think many men need to learn to exercise. And, and you know, and that's a good point. And I have a diagram that I've, you know, created around this masculine feminine breakdown of what I call higher and lower, with the higher being more conscious and open hearted and the lower being frayed and and closed off. Mm. And and I describe the lower feminine as feeling victimized, done to, taking things personally. And rather than like we were talking earlier in this interview, rather than saying, oh, you know, we're going to categorize people and put them in that category so I can feel superior. I, I, I love this diagram that I've created because it reminds me 
when I'm feeling victimized and done to, and I'm complaining and I'm lashing out and I'm projecting, I'm in what I call my unconscious or fearful feminine. And the fact that I know what that looks like allows me to wake up to it. Mm -hmm. And then the waking up to it gives me a, a greater awareness or consciousness. I get to be the witness of myself, the observer of myself. And if I can observe that I'm being kind of whiny, having a pity party, you know, like I said, I got back down here to Puerto Vallarta last week after spending a week uh, visiting at my mom's house. Two of my computers quit working. You know, uh, there's there's a sick, maybe dying woman in my house. You know, there's these stresses going on, this and that. And bottom line was I had to ask myself, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I and, you know, again, I, I sat with the feelings and just got in touch with the feelings and feeling somewhat overwhelmed and, and just sat with it and then asked myself, what do I what am I going to do now when that then allows you to come up and you can choose to either be in what I call higher feminine or higher masculine. The higher feminine may be is that I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to feel the pain that, that I'm experiencing. That's mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and just, just feel it. Mm-hmm. Or higher masculine says, well, I can do this, this, and this to take action and, and move forward. And sometimes it's, it's usually a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And when I started teaching the, you know, this breakdown of my masculine, feminine, higher and lower, what dawned on me, because, you know, my entry really into my own recovery was through a 12-step program, is that the serenity prayer of 12-step program is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That's higher feminine. Mm-hmm. I'm being done, too. Things are happening to me. I don't like it. It's life. Mm-hmm. It's what is. Or the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So courage to change the things I can, that's that's higher masculine. Mm -hmm. And the wisdom to know the difference is knowing when I I need to let them nail me to a cross and say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. Or when I need to go into the temple, you know, with a whip and drive out the people that, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, this this higher feminine and higher masculine, but just complaining, whining, being victimized, and then maybe going over to what I'll call lower masculine, where we start lashing out and and being controlling and abusive and rageful and angry. None of those service. Mm. But but by noticing, if I notice I'm down in a lashing out kind of place, mm-hmm. I go, oh, I take a breath and go, okay, I'm probably feeling vulnerable and frightened. What do I need to do? Mm-hmm. And, and that gives us a way up into consciousness. And, and again, it usually involves me, you know, just spending some time solo by myself, just, you know, out in the garden, taking a walk, sitting with my dog, um, meditating, reading, and or connecting with men. And, and the, I found those are just sometimes it means just going into my gym and pushing some weight around, mm-hmm. just get back into the masculine doing. Sometimes that's all that I really need is go just do something challenging and, and, it, and it just shifts everything. But we have to be able to be that non-judgmental observer of those states. You know, you mentioned our emotional states. We're in emotional states all the time. Most mm-hmm. of us just don't know it because mm-hmm. we, we tune them out. And the emotional states are informative. Um, and they, they usually point us in the direction we need to go. Do I need to go sit and be still with this? Or do I need to go take action on this? The emotional states help inform us uh, of that. And that's where I find that, you know, life is what life is. 
Life is chaotic. Life is tumultuous. Life is painful. Life is viruses that, that give life and destroy life. Mm. That's, that's what life is. And how do we accept that and make the very best of it all at the same time? My mind's still blown at this notion that the serenity prayer is the reflection of the higher masculine and the higher feminine and then the divine at the end. I'm just like resonating with that because that's, I mean, the serenity prayer is, is so familiar to so many people, though they might not have heard of it as a serenity prayer. We've all heard that probably in some meme somewhere, if nowhere else. Yeah. But you know, one of the questions I was going to ask is we've talked about the higher masculine, what is the higher feminine? And you and you answered that. And one of the things I've been saying to men really to everyone lately is, especially about 2020, 2021, is we live in an ambiguous age. And there's this natural movement in, in myself and in many men to want to resolve that ambiguity and make things as clear as possible, as quickly as possible. Yeah. And But we have to just sit in the ambiguity. You have to sit in the ambiguity, feel it, and then act. And you, you captured that so beautifully because I wasn't able to say for myself, you know, I'm good at the acting. I'm also good, you know, because I came from a more emotional background of being like, okay, I'm recognizing my feelings and this is, and I, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just going to sit with it and then I'm going to move and then I'm going to go get something done. But a lot of men, a lot of people aren't good at just sitting in that ambiguity, this shared ambiguity yeah. world. Like, no, you just have to land in it. Like it sucks. It's so uncertain and everything is up in the air and upside down and clown world. It's like, well, you just got to get comfortable with that somehow. And then that's a higher feminine trait you know, speaks, it, go ahead. It is. It, and, well, and it is, it, it, there's also a very strong um, Buddhist teaching about sitting in the mud. Mm -hmm. When when things are out of control, tumultuous, you know, am, ambiguous, to just go sit in it, to just be with it. And uh, one of my favorite writers, Thich Nhat Hanh, mm -hmm. talks, has a book called Lotus in the Mud. He says mm -hmm. a lotus has to grow out of mud. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful flower, but it's got to grow out of the mud. And, and so, if we're willing to just go sit and be still, well, and that might just mean having just some calm conversations with, with our guy friends. Mm -hmm. and, and like I said, I, I've done that. You know, I've, I've felt overwhelmed by a few things and I've just sat and shared that with some of my friends. I said, I, I feel even a little kind of a twinge of depression, you know, creeping in and, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, you know, one of my friends going, that is so cool. He's, he's Jungian. And he said, you know, at these Jungian conferences, you know, over in Europe, you know, when they go there, everybody hopes they, they have some depression when they get there because it's the darkness that you get to work with. And I go, oh, I, I love that. So I, I've been getting to do some dark work mm -hmm. uh, lately. But you've got to sit. You've got to be willing to sit with the uncomfortable feelings. And, and one of the things, well, I'll kind of segue with that. One mm -hmm. of the things I've been preaching about, about tribe and initiation is that for most modern men, we've never had an initiation mm -hmm. to teach us to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable, mm -hmm. whether it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. emotional feelings, uncomfortable physical feelings, uncomfortable uh, things, conflict going on between us and our woman. Um, and anything that we can do as men that, that can initiate us into the challenging word, world of the adult masculine is going to involve us getting comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether that means sitting in the mud, talking to a friend, talking to a coach, talking to a therapist, talking to your men's group about it, um, doing some meditation with it, crying, listening to good music, meditating. Um, for the last couple of days, I've been doing a meditation uh, for my wife's sister, like I said, in the hospital on a respirator. And I, I just get still and I, I offer her up my beating heart because her heart uh, is weak and I offer her up my, my lungs. Mm -hmm. And so 
that that's actually that makes me uncomfortable to do mm-hmm. something like that. But it feels so so empowering. And so anything we can do to get us more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. I fasted yesterday. I fast a couple times a week. Um, they say it's good for you at the cellular level, but I do it because it creates an internalized stress that I've got to get comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't ejaculate very often, about once a month or so. I do that mainly because it keeps my sex drive up with my wife, mm. uh, who wants sex all the time, and it it teaches you to to move tension and move move stresses in your body. Mm-hmm. So anything we can do, whether it's sitting in the mud or going and you know you know getting the the battle ropes or getting the, the weights or getting the the kettlebells and you know getting a you know tough workout and where you. Whatever we can do that gets us comfortable with being uncomfortable lets us really shine. It's the masculine part of us really shine. Uh, and, and going back to you know one of those phrases I love is put a dent in the universe. Mm-hmm. But no man ever put a dent in the universe who wasn't comfortable feeling discomfort. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to be connected to your inner state of being. Like I meditate every morning for about 15 minutes and I don't do any Buddhist style of meditation, though I have in the past, and Buddhist and Eastern style of meditation is about emptying the mind, and 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 that may work for some people, but what I do is I just sit and I just feel into my body. Just sit mm-hmm. there and breathe and just feel into what's going on in my body. I feel tension there, I feel excitement there, it changes every day. And just that simple act of really connecting with what's going on, you know, below my neck and just sitting there and, and experience it, not judging it, not trying to set it aside or change anything, just listening to what my own body has to say because the body is incapable of lying. What is it trying to say to me? And then I can listen and I learn stuff. And then it sometimes doesn't even take all that long. I have, I just meditate for 15 minutes. I have yep. three, five minute bells so that I know my phone isn't off and I don't have sitting there for like an hour, which has happened sometimes. <laughs> and then, so then I know, but then I get my answer like, oh, I was wondering about the solution to that problem. And then I'm able to radiate gratitude or, or contemplate a problem or something like that. But just that simple act of listening to myself, like I would give the same act of listening to another human being produces profound shifts in my entire day and my entire morning and my entire mindset. And men need that opportunity because some men don't know how to listen to what's going on inside themselves. They're completely divided and and their their body, their emotions, their feelings, all these things are are enemies because they're unfamiliar. And I think men get really suspicious of their own feelings and, and feelings and emotions in general yeah. because they just don't know how to listen to them. So what would you say to men that want to get more in touch with their feelings, but maybe I don't know, are afraid to, or don't know how to, or, or would think that it's a bad thing? Well, here's the thing. You know, most things with men, you got to sneak up on them. Um, <laughs> you, you can't say, you need to get comfortable with your feelings. And they go, huh? Um, <laughs> That's right. So well, here's the thing. Like I said, we're feeling feelings all the time. I mean, the, 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 the human creature is made up of, of sensors, what we feel all the time. We've, for the most part, learned to disconnect from those. Mm-hmm. And and it's the disconnect that tends to cause us the problems, not the feelings. Right. But what we don't know is how we're disconnected. So we don't know what we're disconnecting from. And the analogy that I use is that, you know, in most homes, there's a thermostat somewhere on the wall connected to a heater and maybe an air conditioner. Mm-hmm. And that thermostat, if it's finely tuned and, and you know, everything's set up right, should keep the room at a comfortable temperature, you know, day and night, summer and winter, without us ever feeling a discomfort or an extreme, mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's doing its job correctly. So if, if the room cools off just slightly, it kicks in some warm air. If the room gets too warm, 
it kicks in some cooler air, it turns off the, that's what a thermostat does. Mm -hmm. We have similar thermostats on our feeling states. And, and mainly because we live in cultures where we're not encouraged to feel, mm -hmm. we're encouraged not to feel. Don't, you don't feel that way, stop crying. Mm -hmm. you know? We don't feel. Um, so what happens, we have a thermostat in our nervous system that kicks in with old tried and true ways of, of avoiding uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, there's an uncomfortable feeling of hunger. Like I said, when I fast, I'll, I'll notice kind of a, just an uncomfortableness in my stomach. And without even thinking, I find myself wandering into the kitchen, maybe to like to grab a handful of nuts. And, and But when I'm fasting, since I'm not eating, I go, oh, that was just a habit to go grab nuts. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even thinking. It just, the thermostat kicked in, said, go get some nuts. Mm. Right? Now, that thermostat's wired into almost all feelings. And the reason why we don't get in touch with them is, is we're doing so many things that are meant to distract us from the uncomfortable feelings, but we don't know that. So, you know, we've got, you know, I got an iPhone right here. Mm -hmm. These things have only been out about 11 years, 11, mm -hmm. 12 years at the most. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, having, you know, a smartphone, you know, you, we can't live without them. But mm -hmm. 12 years ago, we didn't even have them. So what has happened is we're in a culture, whether it's through social media, um, technology, you know, all the food you could ever want, all the booze you could ever want, all the video games you could ever want, all the porn you could ever want. It's all just right there. And whenever we be, before we ever even feel an uncomfortable feeling, we're picking up our phone to look at it, to look at sports, to look at the stock market, to look at social media, to look at Facebook or Instagram, or, or, you know, we would get, we get online and just start you know, Googling and searching stuff. Maybe we could just get on YouTube and just let one video after another come up, or we just get sit in front of a TV and, and, and do this. We've got to find ways to give ourselves nothing time mm -hmm. in order to, to start experiencing everything. And so, for example, I, I, I made a decision not very long ago because I'm, I'm like everybody else. I do that, too. You know, I, I take my phone into the bathroom with me when I go in to, you know, sit on the pot and use the bathroom. I made a commitment to stop doing that. I mm. don't take my phone to the bathroom anymore. Now, when I go in the bathroom, it's just a moment of freedom, of solitude, of quietness, you know, have my urination meditation and whatever else <laughs> needs to be done. But it's a conscious act to sit in the mud to be still of nothingness. And now, uh, since we got a, a puppy, we got a pit bull puppy, uh, Jack Lee, six, eight months ago, because she's uh, seven months ago, she's nine months old today. And um, so this puppy had to be let out seven o'clock every morning out of her, her little kennel. So I took that job on. So I still, even though she doesn't have to get up at seven, I do, I get up at seven, go turn the pot of coffee on, let her out of the kennel, she and I goes out back. She uses the bathroom. I, I live in Mexico, so the weather's always comfortable. Uh, yeah, we both we both have side by side recliners. I sit down in my recliner. She crawls up in her recliner next to me, and and I'll do some meditation like you do, mm -hmm. and it varies every day. Uh, I'll, I'll meditate. I'll just look at my garden. I'll look at the the hummingbirds, the uh, the other plants and animals. I'll scratch the dog's neck. I've and that's just the highlight of my day. So I, to just go be still and watch the sun come up with a good cup of coffee and my little pit bull puppy next to me and just, just enjoy life and just be in the moment and experience some quiet and stillness. The other thing that, that I do is um, I almost died about three years ago. Oh, wow. Um, I had a 
long story short, I had a tumor blocking my small intestine. Nobody could find it. Nobody figured, nobody could figure out what was wrong. Doctors in Mexico, in the States, I lost over 30 pounds. I just was lethargic. I I took naps most of the time. Uh, I was a zombie. And, you know, maybe I worked about three hours a week, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I took a lot of naps and I just read a lot and just did a lot of nothing. And it dawned on me that the world didn't end. (laughs) And, and, you know, I almost died, but luckily they found it and fixed it and I was fine. But I, I, I've since that time, I, I leave time on my schedule. I never book my calendar up back to back to back throughout the day. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I, I don't book anything in the mornings. I try not to book anything before one o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, my time. Occasionally when I'm working with people in Europe or Australia, I'll do something earlier. But I, those are the exception, not the rule. I leave time open on my calendar for things in the afternoon. Like right now, like I said, we've got a crisis going on in my house. And if I was booked up back to back to back to back every day, every, you know, through the rest of the week, I couldn't be available to help deal with the stuff going on in my home right now. Mm-hmm. So I would say to men, put your phones down for a while. You know, find some time every day. Just put it aside. Leave it leave it somewhere in another room for 30 minutes. Find some time to just be still with no media on, no, no internet, no TV. Find some time just to be with your dog, to take a walk, to be with your kids, to be with the woman in your life, to be alone, to be with your guy friends. Find some quiet, still time every day. Book it into your day. And my and, and notice your tendency to either want to think a lot and get real distracted or go get something to eat or go get something to drink or go to the bathroom or, you know, watch your tendency to just go distract. And is when we can get past the distraction. And again, that's why I fast. That's why, you know, I'll get up in the morning early. I've just found there's great value if I can just learn to experience my body and be in my body and connect the mind to body to breath and just be in the present moment. There's tremendous value in that Mm -hmm. that I think makes life complete and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. You know, we we spend our life just getting shit done. And, you know, when when they, you know, put us in the grave, we can put on our tombstone. He got a lot of shit done. But, you know, did we live? Did we experience life? Did, Did we grow? And I think, I think we have to set time aside for that, for it to happen. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my podcast with Dr. Robert Glover. I'd like to speak with you for a moment about my Renaissance coaching. It's my custom, personally designed 12-week program to generate your personal Renaissance. We begin with an assessment of four key pillars of your health, physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. By taking an assessment of those, we can determine which of them, if any, need remedying. Because it's only by establishing health in those ways that any of us can find the strength to journey within and discover the purpose which will fuel our conquest over the outer world of work, sex, and death. The program is based on a symbol which I created. I call it the map. By looking at the map, you can see your life from the 50,000-foot level, as well as the lives of those around you. In this way, you can come to understand yourself, your strengths, who you are, what you have to give, as well as what lies within the map and what's outside it. To facilitate this, I blend inner and outer processes such as accountability check-ins and deep listening so that we can discover the blocks in your inner and outer life and remove them. If you've ever wondered what it would be like to talk with me directly, work with me, or know how I can help you create the transformation in your life that I've created in mine, my Renaissance coaching is your answer. It is an intensive process. It requires courage, 
discipline, and motivation, but I'm very proud of it. This week only, I'm offering a special to my listeners. Contact me at info at to schedule a free exploratory 30-minute session. If we determine there's a fit, tell me which is your favorite podcast for 20% off the entire program. I only have a limited number of spots, and I'm careful about who I work with. But if you're a man who's ready for change, who's ready to be more than just a listener, but an active participant in the Renaissance, reach out to me at info at That's all for now. Please enjoy the rest of my podcast with Dr. Robert Glover. Mm-hmm. Care for our spiritual life. I mean, it was, it was really in a way, because we do have spirits. Like we're, We've been talking about care for our emotional body, you might say, you know, going to be around a community of men or tribe to feel a sense of love and support and nurturing in the way that men express that. But there's also the need to care for our for our spirits. And I don't necessarily mean in any theological sense that sure. we can talk about that, but the notion of this sense of energy of being alive, this vibrancy of existence, that in itself just is the joy of being. And we need to be able to sit in the joy of being, even when it's not incom- it's not comfortable to be in being because we don't feel joyful. But just to sort of accept that as the moment in kind of a Buddhist sense can be profoundly restorative, but it requires a lot of discipline to do because the mind, as you say, will be, I got to do this thing. Oh, there's this email and then I forgot about this and, oh, maybe I'll go get something to eat or oh, there's something yeah. on my phone or constant, something. Constant, constant. It's always there. Yeah. And the funny thing is, you probably noticed this, is that whenever you do just sit with the uncomfortable feelings, they tend to pass pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. That's been my experience. You know, like I said, I've felt some kind of some depression, little bouts of depression, little waves of it this week. I don't feel that very often, but I've felt it before, so I know what it feels like. And I kind of liken back to some times earlier in my life where I did have some depression and kind of just sat with it and told a few friends about it. And next thing you know, I wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm. It's just, just kind of weird. If you just let yourself feel, the feelings are they're just waves. They just come and go. And and we don't have to run from them. We don't have to hide from them. We don't have to, you know, do anything to manipulate ourselves out of not feeling. It, there's just feelings. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious because like the word love, this word depression gets used very often. And I don't know that we're all really clear on what depression is. I know that there's probably a clinical definition, but since you're a marriage and family therapist, and I know that depression seems to be, or or some series of debilitating negative feelings is what I'll just broadly label them as. When you talk about depression, what what do you mean? Because I hear a lot of men saying they're feeling depression or despair. And I think they're all kind of, gra- they're healthy men. So I think they're grasping for a specific thing, a, a, a sense that they don't know how to describe, but they use the word depression. So what do you mean? Well, let me take it back to that masculine feminine uh, breakdown in the grid that we're talking about. If it's the feminine us that is done to, uh, for good or for bad, you know, it can be blissful and it, and it can be abusive. Uh, how, how we're by, I, and, and, and I tell people, you know, you can be victimized without being a victim. I mean, we, we all get victimized. We all have things that happen to us. Well, because the feminine in us can't do. Only the masculine can. The feminine can only be done too. And so the, it's the feminine in us that tends to feel helpless. And the, so the kind of depression I'm talking about, there's chemical depressions that don't mm. fall into this. Mm-hmm. But the kind of depression I'm talking about, well, let's, let's call it the garden variety depression, is when you feel some, you feel trapped and helpless and done too. And like there's just no way, you know, just like there's no way out of what's happening to me. And it's, it's, and it's mainly a sense of helplessness um, mm-hmm. that 
that can just kind of keep growing on itself, feeling helpless. And so the, I believe working on this theory that this kind of, this kind of depression comes out of that, that feminine part of ourselves that, that just feels trapped and helpless with, with things that are painful, uh, that hurt. And because the feminine can't do, the feminine doesn't have a way out. So if we just stay in the feminine place with this, we're tend to kind of, we're going to go darker and darker and darker. And, and that's, and we'll probably just try to find those junk food things to medicate it, mm-hmm. you know, busy, busyness, porn, alcohol, whatever. But if the masculine in us is husbanding well, the feminine in us, the masculine will recognize this feeling state is just a feeling state. Mm-hmm. That's all that it is. Just a feeling state of, 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 of feeling overwhelmed and helpless and vulnerable. And the masculine can address it and, and in whatever way needs to be addressed. Maybe it's just sit with it. Maybe it is talking to a friend, talking to a therapist. Maybe it's taking a specific action to change the situation. But it's the masculine in us that has to be the observer of what's happening to the feminine mm-hmm. in us. And the masculine can go take the action. And the action might just, like I say, be deciding, let's, let's just be in our higher feminine and just feel the pain. Mm-hmm. Let's not escape it. Just, let's just feel it. Mm-hmm. That's higher feminine. Uh, and not complain about it, not be victimized, not lash out. Just sit with it. Or might say, let's go talk to somebody. Or let's go take this action. And so, like... Uh, I, I mentioned one of the things contributing to my feeling of helplessness were my computers breaking down. Mm-hmm. So I asked my wife, can you call the local Mac store and see if they can get my computer in? And she did, and she was running errands, so she took my computer. And when she came back, it, it, it had been wiped and cleaned, and I could you know, reload it again. Mm-hmm. So taking action can, can help you feel better. But that's the masculine. And it's the, and it, but if the masculine is not conscious, of husbanding the feminine, we can just stay in the feminine and spend further and further down into that darkness and that helplessness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the masculine even took me on some darkness journeys Mm -hmm. um, with, with a spirit animal down into the darkness to see what it was about. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the masculine can parent can husband can take care of that part of us that that feels overwhelmed and stuck and, and in pain. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, this is a model I've just been working with for a little while, but sure, it helps me and it seems to have helped a lot of other people as well. And the depression fits well in the model. Mm -hmm. I think about this, you know, in terms of parenting my inner son, fathering my inner son, like some inner version of me that's young and feels helpless and weak and is feeling what he's feeling. And, you know, then I have to sort of separate my mind in a way and, and imagine myself as the, the adult man that I am and go and sit down with this inner son and just like, just sit with him on the ground, you know, and say, Hey, what's, what's going on guy, you know, and just let him sit there Mm -hmm. or say whatever it is, whatever it is he has to say. And if I'm not conscious and I'm just in that sort of little sun energy, you know, then everything's going to kind of be a mess. And like you say, I'll feel victimized or put upon or overwhelmed. But if I can establish that, you know, adult male masculine image of myself inside my own mind, sit with that, that creates a space, that creates a completely different feeling. And then I'm able to resolve whatever it is, but I have to be willing to go in with a spirit of inquiry 
And it may not always be the same thing. Maybe, maybe he wants to go outside, or maybe he wants to go to the gym, or maybe he wants to read a book, or maybe he wants to throw my phone out the window and never look at it again, you know, something <laughs> like that. But you know, just having that spirit of inquiry that the, the the solutions to the set of feelings may change from day to day and to be okay with that and to be able to be fluid and flexible with that. Um, and I think it's that it's spirit of of inner discovery, which I think for me makes it exciting. It's a it's a process yeah. of self-discovery. I'm having fun. Like, say, you know, at 65 years old, I'm I'm still having fun discovering stuff about myself. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and well, what I'll go back to is kind of where we started on this little part is we've got to have time to do that. If you, if men, if you, if you are just constantly busy, and when you're not busy, if you're if you're medicating with junk food, mm-hmm. you know, all those things I've listed, not just food, but the porn, the internet, television, your phone. If if every every spare moment you have is filled with something, just find some way, just create 15 minutes in your day or three, three 15 minute blocks, put mm-hmm. it on your, you know, set an alarm on your phone and then just, you know, just sit somewhere. You know, if you're at work, you know, go, go sit in your car and just let the sun come in, you know, warm the windows or, you know, I guess right now it's pretty freezing in a lot of places, mm-hmm. but you know, um, you know, if you, if you can just, Go sit and be still mm-hmm. for 15 minutes. It and and just just notice, just notice, and and let let whatever it is be what is, and um and 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 turn that into a habit rather than the habit of and like I said, I'm I'm as bad as everybody else. I you know I got mm-hmm. this iPhone 11. You know I I can look at it you know 24 seven. Um, but do I need to? Do I need to? I mean, I, I catch myself just in moments of kind of a little bit of nothing to do or boredom. I open it up and I don't have anything social media on it. So I, I, I can't, there's no distraction from there. But I'll, uh, any any new thing about Seattle Mariners or any, any new thing? I'm a baseball fan. Anything mm-hmm. new? Uh, oh, no, same old article's been there for three days. I, I go, wait three more days before you look. Just, mm-hmm. You know, you, so we've mm-hmm. just got to create some kind of structure or discipline that we just sit still every now and then. If you're driving your car, turn the radio off, yeah. put your phone away. Don't, you know, put it on, don't molest, no disturb, you know, just, you know, get some space to be still and be quiet. Mm-hmm. You have to claim it. You have to claim it like a man, this is my time and this is my space. Like lately I've oh. been dur- yeah, yeah, put that just, stake in the ground, right? That's right. Yeah, I get in my car and the radio comes on. I'm like, oh my god, turn that off. And it's like, I don't want to listen to anything while I drive right now. And that's really nice. And there are some times where it's like, I don't want to be consuming anything at all. No YouTube. It's like I'm even like, do I go reach for a book? Like, no, I'm just gonna just sit for five minutes in my space and just even though that'll be so unfamiliar and uncomfortable, yeah. this notion of some people phrase it as get comfortable with being bored. And I suppose maybe that's one way of looking at it, but sure. it's more like the anxiety of not having any any consuming any content, which we're so saturated with these days. Like you gotta cut it off and let what's going on inside happen. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I think I think we've been pretty clear about that. <laughs> yeah. Take some time, be still. Just be still, be quiet. Now I can hear I can hear some men. Saying, okay, I'm, I've got kids and I got a career and something's going on in my family. Like, what advice do you give to those guys? Is it just put your stake in the ground? Is it like you just, yeah. is it they just do it? Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm I'm in a morning writers group that um, that I didn't start, but I've been a part of for quite for two plus years, and we just get on Zoom and and write. We don't even talk to each other. It's a group of men I know, um, and just write from seven a.m. 
Pacific time till eight or nine. And it's nine o'clock my time where I'm at. But when I'm on West Coast, I get up at seven and do it. And a lot of time, you know, I'm, 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 I'm the only one there. And there's all these guys, well, yeah, I want to write, I want to write. And I said, so I kind of, I, I kind of, you know, had a little masculine, you know, sacred chewing out with, with this group of guys mm-hmm. last week. And I said, listen, I'm going to write every morning. Now I, I, I can log into zoom and you guys can come write with me. Or if you're not going to, I'm not going to, cause I want to be in supportive environments, not ones where I show up and nobody else does. Mm-hmm. So I said, you guys either, you know, come join me or not. And some of this, Oh, well, but you know, the, I've got this thing going on or this time challenge, that time demand. And I said, listen, um, Tolstoy wrote War and Peace with 13 kids. <laughs> Jordan Peterson, I heard him on an interview a couple weeks ago. Since 1984, he's written three hours a day. Wow. Every day, three hours a day. And 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 the, the guy I interviewed him said, did you like, you know, pretty much have to put up, you know, a brick wall around you to make that sacred? And he says, yes, my family knows. Do not cross, you know, do not come into that three-hour block of time. And he said, I'll have thoughts in my head. I'll be balancing 25 ideas. Mm-hmm. I, I can't handle an interruption. And um, so it can be done. It can be done. And what really revolutionized my life is uh, I, I, one, of the, one of the best like 10 days in my life was about three years ago. I went and did Mankind Project New Warrior Adventure Weekend, mm-hmm. had a, a two-hour session with my, my new coach then, John Wineland, and then the following weekend did a retreat with him in the program that I'm in. Hmm. And I was talking to him about writing and saying, you know, I'm, I'm stuck, you know, I've got these books I want to write. And he said, basically it came down to, can, can you commit to writing 90 minutes every morning first thing in the morning. I go, yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And that was three years ago, and I, and, I, and I still do it, at least 90 minutes, starting about, about 8, 9 o'clock, somewhere in there, and then writing for an hour, two, or three. And um, and it was just a matter of just saying, I'm going to do it. So like I said, when I'm when my wife and I go visit my mother in Seattle, and, and that comes at 7 a.m., that group, I'm out of bed before 7 o'clock leaving my wife. I know she'd love for me to just stay in bed and snuggle with her, but she loves it better that I get up and keep my commitment mm-hmm. and write. And so, um, you know, if you make it a priority, whatever that is, you know, for me, I was, you know, like I said, the, when, when we got the dog, somebody had to get up and let it out at 7 a.m. And once I realized, hey, this is kind of nice being out here with no one to bother me at 7 a.m., I, I can get a cup of coffee and just relax. And that's bliss. I'm in heaven every morning. When I, when I go away, and I, don't, I, don't, I, can't, I can't get up and go scratch my dog's ears at 7 o'clock in the morning. I miss that. So you, you just got, if you got kids, if you got a job, you still got to put a stake in the ground. You still got to get to the gym. You still got to do your, your, your quiet time or your meditation. You still got to have your time with your guy friends. I mean, wh- why the hell are we getting married and having kids if our life isn't getting better? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's, if it's getting worse because we gave up everything that was important to us before we got in a relationship or before we had kids, what kind of trade is that? Mm-hmm. And again, we got to fill that bucket so we can give to our woman and our kids from the overflow. So we give to our employer from the overflow. Mm-hmm. But we got to put us first. We got to make us the priority. So whether it's a Jordan Peterson kind of thing, three hours, do not disturb, I'm writing. Or whether it's me just telling the wife, no, don't worry, dear. Stay, you can stay in bed. I'll get up and let the dog out this morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going, yay, I get to go sit outside with the dog in the morning. Mm-hmm. Find a way. Just find a way. Make it happen. When I was uh, I was in a relationship uh, in 2019, and I I went on a 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat, 
which is 10 hours of meditation a day for 10 days. And I got an incredible experience. And after that, I maintained my meditation habit. And I would get up at 5, 5.30 in the morning before my girlfriend would get up. And just having that little bit of time in the morning, and it was winter too. You know, I wasn't thrilled to be getting up into a cold house, but you know, I'd do it anyway. But just to have that time to sit and meditate every morning for an hour, and just the act of giving that to myself, I felt like I was ahead of the whole day. You know, get up at mm-hmm. five or five thirty in the morning, and even if you don't meditate, just fif- meditate for fifteen minutes, and then work. You get more done before nine, ten o'clock in the morning before the whole gears of the world start turning, you know, and it's like, oh wait, I won the day already. And then everything else yeah. is kind of like overtime in a way. It's lovely. I, I highly recommend finding some way. Carve that time out, make it your own, have some solitude, sit, be still, scratch your dog's ears, read a book, write a book, but just do something where you're where you're in solitude and 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 still. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. Amazing way to start the day. So I've seen, you've written, of course, No More Mr. Nice Guy, and I've been to your website, Dating Essentials for Men. What's the mm-hmm. next thing that you're working on now? Is, is it continuing to propagate this dating essentials? Because I'm discovering that many men today are actually, like I grew up dreading marriage. Like I had always heard that marriage was kind of the end of masculinity and you have kids and it's a bird and a drag. And I think that's just kind of out there in the culture. And, and as I've discovered my own masculinity of my own desire to be a father, I'm actually thrilled for the opportunity to get married when it presents itself. And so is that is that what you're working on now? Because I see many men thinking in that direction, or are there other projects that you have that you're cultivating? Well, I've got a whiteboard right over here with, you know, eight or ten books that I want to write. Hmm. Um, and you know, maybe maybe some of them will get written. The the one I'm working on is um called positive emotional tension. Hmm. It's the basic premise is that women have to experience emotional tension to be attracted to a man and sexually aroused and stay connected to him over time. And in general, we men hate emotional tension. Um, we, 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 we avoid it, we kill it, we, we, we put the fire out whenever every chance we get. And then we men wonder why we can't attract women or why our women lose sexual interest over time in relationship is because they have to have emotional tension. And we don't like it, so we avoid it at all costs. And so they either get bored with us, uh, get fat, go fuck around on us, go do something. You go do something. You know, they invest in the kids or job, you know, food, and um, because they need the emotional tension. So the book is about how to be conscious, and the way I'm framing it, that this, yeah, I'm framing it in the form of a masculine initiation, hmm. that learning to be conscious with feminine creatures and their need for, for emotional tension is maybe one of the most powerful masculine initiations that there, there mm-hmm. is because mm-hmm. we don't want it. We, we're, we're not comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And if our wife is projecting on us or creating drama or slamming dishes or withdrawing or not talking to us or, you know, you know, having a lot of guy friends on Facebook and we don't like all that tension, but how we show up and deal with it and address it can really grow us as men. I, I, I refer it grows us out of the nursery up into the world of, of conscious masculine. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of a combination book, both of um, how to live more consciously and, and how to show up with women. So it'll be both for single men and men in relationship. And I, I mean, my, my, my PhD, my background is marriage and family therapy. So I've been working with relationships for you know, over 30 years and, you know, didn't start working with men around dating till I got divorced after my second mm-hmm. marriage. So, 
it's you know it's, it's still just directed at men you know how how to get the love and sex you want basically whether you're single or in relationship and the key is going to come by you growing up and being a more conscious man and uh, so anyway that's the nutshell of that there's there's a few other books that i'm working on i'd love to write a a, a movie screenplay based on no more mr nice guy in fact i'm, I'm gonna start working with a, a um a screenwriter on that in later this month, next month. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to write a, a, a graphic novel series for pre-adolescent to adolescent boys, kind of a series that kind of brings in a little bit of fantasy, but teaches them the same things I'm teaching adult male about uh, how to be masculine, how to how to live with passion and purpose, how to attract a woman, how to how to connect with a woman, how to deal with emotional tensions. So those are just a few other things. There's several other books I want to write, but you know, they take time, so mm-hmm. well, I'll just keep plugging away at it. Well, one of the things that you said earlier was that you you didn't think that, or the the publisher, the original publisher for No, for no More Mr. Dragon High Sky, or your agent, I can't remember which, said that they wanted to publish the book, but they didn't feel that men would buy it. So no, that like, was the pu- the publishers. My agent loved the book. It was okay. the publishers that said that. Yeah, yeah. But now I feel like it would be a little different in that publishers would actually say, no, we're not going to publish anything positive for men. Like maybe at the time they were being honest and saying that. Um, is that the case? Because we were talking at the start about many of these of these male books, you know, like like Jack Donovan published his own books, you know, Bronze Age Mindset was self-published, Sovereignty by Ryan yeah. Mickler. All these guys are self-published. And and thank God for that, it make it so easy. What do you yeah. think? I mean, what's your sense of the of this of the market of publishers? Yeah. Will they be willing to publish stuff like this? I, I I don't I don't even think about it because mm-hmm. I don't have to anymore. That's true. Um, and, and not so much because oh I'm I'm a famous published author because um, uh, we we shop dating essentials for men and couldn't get anybody that wanted to put the print version out so we just put it up as an ebook and it it was a a, a, a bestseller you know within a week and so my agent got an audio version of you know got a contract to do that but it's self published as well as as both the ebook and it's going to come out in print in just the next couple of weeks um and so my agent's really smart he he decided a long time ago uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna give anything away to the to the publishers because print publishing does not make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 just a outdated way of doing things. Um, ebooks and audibles what makes all the money. That's that's just what my biggest royalty checks are. Oh, wow. But now if you get so if you get a print contract, they also want the digital and the audible con. You know they want the whole thing. Mm-hmm. My agent won't sign it away. Uh, I I make I make a pretty good income. Just self-publishing the ebooks on Amazon, and then getting uh, uh, a recording company to create a recording for Audible, and uh, we don't—you don't have to go through publishers anymore. So that's why I don't even worry about it. Hmm. If somebody wanted to throw a lot of money at me with a big print contract, I'm—I'm I'm sure I'd, I'd let my agent decide what's the best thing to do, but we're, we won't give away the digital rights hmm. to it. The, the ebook rights—that's that's, those are my biggest checks. Hmm. I think my my question was more about the uh, although also about that for men thinking of writing books, but I think my question was also about the the political climate towards men's personal development because I feel like for but, a long but see I don't even worry about that. Oh, you don't even because, think about that either. Okay, I don't because that 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 still is getting too close to the whole victim thing that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh well, you know the, this is what happens in universities, or this is what happens in the publishing industry, or this is what happens, and and yeah, maybe happening. And 
but it kind of goes back to that whole victim thing. You know, okay, if it's happening, it's happening. How am I going to make the best of the situation? Mm -hmm. So I don't lose any sleep over it. I, I just, you know, I'll get some guys, you know, say, oh, you know, you know, television commercials or these television shows that do this to men and they make men look bad and they're this and that. And I go, don't watch the shows. The only reason those shows are on TV is because people watch them, you know, Mm -hmm. just don't this and don't be a victim. Get out and live your life. None of us are victims. Remember, we can be victimized without being victims. Mm-hmm. And and so is the publishing industry this way or that way? I, I don't give it two minutes thought. I don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to keep, if we can keep pursuing this because this is relevant to me. So for example, there are lots of men that I know that are developing themselves as men and that are experiencing real pushback from their families, from their friends, or they're afraid of speaking up on social media. I know personally, sure. like, you know, I put up my website and now there are several members of my family that are that are not talking to me anymore because I sort of, you know, I don't consider myself a victim. You know, it's like it, yeah. but it's still kind of like this is the cost of this is the cost of business in a way. If you stand up for yourself as yeah. a man today and say, you know, like you posted on Twitter, like uh, part of accepting your own sex drive as a man is, is not toxic. I, I should pull up the tweet, but you posted it a couple of days ago. And I love that because I lived that way for a very long time. Like, oh, I'm a man with this terrible sex drive and I shouldn't have that. And it's like, well, wait a minute. When I plug that back in, I came to life. It's like, oh, I'm alive. Yeah. But that come with, comes with consequences because well, a lot it, of people. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it does. And, um, it does. And I, I'm a big believer. I, I developed this notion when I started dating and teaching men to date. I call it getting to rejection quickly. And that is find out quickly if this woman you're on a date with, if, if number one, if you have high interest in seeing her and if she has high interest in seeing you. And because you don't want to go on three, five dates, spend money, take time just to be with a woman that's only hanging out with you because she got nothing else to do or mm. likes going on dates. Um, you know, so getting to rejection quickly and even in within marriage, okay, if you're walking around in eggshells because you don't want to upset your wife or she's not having sex anymore and you you've you've just kind of tolerated, you know, you know, let's let's pull out the big guns. Let's find out, you know, is this marriage gonna make it or not? Don't marriages don't make it by avoiding the stuff that you're afraid of blowing it up. Mm-hmm. Blow it up. Mm-hmm. Do whatever it takes to blow it up. I didn't talk to my mom and dad for 15 years. Oh wow. When when I started set when I learned about boundaries and started setting boundaries, my mother didn't like it. And um oh, wow. and and now, you know, now twenty-five years later, my mother and I have a very boundaried, supportive relationship. So but it took not talking for fifteen years. Literally right? for fifteen years. Literally. I'm not making that up. Literally. 15 years. Well, because I wanted, I wanted to ask you when you wrote this book and you started, well, the book was the end product of your journey, not the, not the beginning of it away. Cause you had to write your own book, but what were the, I mean, what you're getting into it now, what were some of the consequences as you start to stand up for yourself as a man? Because as you say, a lot of people get really uncomfortable and will be like, they just won't talk to you anymore. Like, I don't know who you are and stuff like that. Did you experience that? Or I could tell maybe not. You know, really about the only big stuff that happened is again, I didn't talk to my parents for 15 years, but before my dad died, I'd reconnected with him and Mm -hmm. my mother's still alive. And, um, I did end up getting divorced from the woman I was married to when I wrote the book, but it wasn't because I wrote the book. It's Mm because I finally started setting boundaries. And so my, my frame of mind is I only hang out with people who treat me well. Mm -hmm. And my life is filled with people who treat me well. Why? Because I quit hanging out with the people who don't treat me well, or, you know, who don't like what I say or, and the, and the funny thing is, you know, I get, I get almost no blowback 
number one, I'm not much on social media. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, 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 when Barnes and Noble published No More Mr. Nice Guy, I think they were open for some kind of blowback, some kind of big, you know, battle of the sexes. But it hasn't triggered that. I, I, I don't get blowback. And here's the thing. I found that as long as I live life on my terms, I'm authentic. I say what I feel, what I think, what I mean. Um, every now and then somebody might be bugged by it, but I don't hear it that much. Mm-hmm. And when, when they do, or if I do get an email or a message, I have, I have a jack wagon folder that I put it in on my email. You just, you just learn to, okay, I'm going to fucking live life on my terms. Mm-hmm. The people that like how I live my life want to hang around with me, come hang around with me. The people that don't like it, adios. It was nice to know you. Now, I'm not, I'm not cold. Actually, I've been through a lot of pain mm-hmm, with relationships mm-hmm. ending. But again, this is, this is the masculine initiation. You know, If you don't live life on your terms, whose terms are you living it on? Mm-hmm. And if that means those other people you know, don't want to talk to you or if they say hurtful things to you, do you want to hang around that? Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. So I don't. You mentioned this term masculine initiation. And one of the things that I find that many different leaders in this men's movement are landing on right now is the need to bring that back. And I like the Mankind Project because they do a good one, but they're not the end-all be-all of initiation. But they've, I mean, they've been working on it for 35 years, you know, so it's it's pretty, they've they've refined their process pretty well. Uh, but for for men that are looking to create initiation for themselves or looking for where to be initiated. Other than the Mankind Project, do you know anyone actually doing these initiations? Because it's actually quite a difficult thing to do well in such a way that men today can do it and that you can actually fail at it, which is, I always say, the key in ingredient of an initiation. Like if, you can, if you're going to be carried across the finish line, you haven't been initiated. You have to get yourself across the finish line and take a leap and take a leap of faith. And then your success is what the initiation is. You have to rely on the divine in some sense. So do you know of any initiations that men can participate in? Um, that are available to them. You know, I, I, I would definitely say start with Mankind Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, they, they've been doing this for a while. They've got a model. Uh, it's not the only model, but, you know, it, it's as it's, it's good as any to start with. And there are other, uh, other I'd say, mainly coming out of more kind of the David Data consciousness embodiment movement, um, more people, you know, people coming out of that that do uh, retreats that you know, maybe a little bit more wilderness related or practice related. And, um, I don't know that anybody's really just other than mankind project. I don't know. There might be other people out there. I just don't know of mm-hmm. this really just kind of nailed this whole, uh, you know, let's recreate a masculine initiation. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to just put a big plug out for mankind project for a place to start the process. I think if you're just starting men's work, it's a good place. I went to it after I'd been doing men's work and written the book. I mean, I, I just went to it three years ago. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think it doesn't matter where you're at. Is I think it's a good place to go do. And my experience is I met a lot of people there who are also doing men's work. And then so that that gets you connected as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a hub with like 75,000 men around the world have done the Mankind Project. So it's it's been around for a while. It's a good place it, to start. Made it be yeah, absolutely a great place to start. Well, I know we're getting down to the end of our of our time together, but where do you see this uh, movement of uh, movement of men going? What's the next horizon for you? Oh, that's a good question. And <laughs> I'm not I, I don't know that I have an answer. I I think um I think more of what we're already seeing. Uh, more and more men becoming men's coaches, more and more men doing products like you're doing with mm-hmm. interviews and podcasts. Um, um, here's what I've found is that 
for, for me anyway, and I think for a lot of men, is that if we've struggled with something and gone out and through that struggle found some answers, we want to we share that. We want to teach that. So that's what I think is going to keep happening. And the internet lets us do it. And now that you know, anybody can become a coach, really, you don't have to go to like nine years of college to, to be a, a men's coach. Um, I, I think we're, wherever people are struggling, you know, that's where, where people then are going to come teach mm-hmm. and share, whether, whether it's men not having satisfying sex lives or men being addicted to porn or, um, you know, men just needing to get more in their bodies or men, what, whatever men have struggled with, they tend to go teach. So I think we'll just, we're, we live in an environment where it's a golden age of teaching mm-hmm. that, you know, there's so many platforms that, that people can teach, whether it's with video, whether it's with podcasts, whether it's with blogs, whether it's workshops, whether it's writing, whether it's online classes. There's just It's just a beautiful age to be in if you want to learn. And, um, and you know, there's so many different learning uh, modalities. Mm-hmm. It could be reading. It could be watching. It could be doing. It could be being done too. So um, I, think, I think we're just going to keep seeing more and more what we've been seeing. And there, there may be some other thing that pops up that surprises me, and it'll be a nice surprise. Can you say anything of what you're seeing in your individual private practice? Obviously, without disclosing any confidential details, do you find that men are coming to you or men that are coming to your workshops, that you're seeing any trends in masculinity that just from being on the front line, so to speak? You know, the for years now, the things that I've seen the most of is typically – uh, men feeling um, stuck around purpose and passion in life and, and just wanting to, to feel like they're doing something fulfilling and not, not believing that they are or, mm-hmm. or, that, or, to, or the things they think might be fulfilling seem too out of reach or too frightening. And I think the other is relationship, um, getting love and sex and keeping the love and sex. I, I think th- those are pretty core things. And then maybe a third thing would be is is building connection with men and mm-hmm. maintaining that. I think those seem, for at least what I see, and maybe maybe that's because, you know, I have those three hammers, and so I see those three nails <laughs> a lot. Um, the purpose and passion, uh, the relationship and sexual issues, and the connecting with men. Because um, those are fundamental to who we are as men. And so maybe those that'll be where we always struggle. Mm-hmm. And we'll seek answers and and help. Mm-hmm. And I think I think to some extent, you know, one of the things you <clears throat> lay out very clearly and and no more mystery high sky is some of the language around what men have internalized as a result of feminism, like men are useless and patriarchy and all this stuff. And so, yeah. you know, for men who internalize those ideas, as I certainly did, you know, notions of of love and fulfilling sex and notions of purpose, like, oh, I don't have pur- purpose in civilization and men are bad. It's like, it can be very isolating. And I, I look at the things, as you're saying, as men looking for connection in various ways. You know, when you have a purpose, you're connected with yourself. And when you find other men, you're connected <clears throat> with a community. When you have fulfilling sex and romance, you're connected with a woman. What mm-hmm. more could you possibly want? as a human being, you know, except for perhaps yeah. kids, but that's a that's another expression of those three things, ideally. Because if you have those three things, then you've created the ideal environment for kids to come into. Yeah. So that's that's where I think we men will always be seeking answers and seeking help. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's been it's been great getting to know you and hear your story and, and hear about your perspectives on men and masculinity in this men's movement. 
Will, thank you for the invitation. I, I, I love talking about men. I love talking about the work I do. And I appreciate the work that you're doing and what you're putting out in the world. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you. And where can men go to learn more about you and what you do? Uh, they can just go to drglover.com, D-R-G-L-O-V-E-R.com. If they Google Robert Glover or Google No More Mr. Nice Guy, I come up the top spots on both those pages. So uh, I'm not too hard to find. Excellent. Well, thank you very much again. This has been great. And I'll be sure to send a lot of men your way. Thank you, Will. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.